Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I wanted to start this show with saying how grateful I am for those of you who wrote us reviews on iTunes and Stitchers. I love hearing your feedback, but more importantly, when you write us reviews on iTunes, it helps us to rank higher on the iTunes chart and more people will have access to this information. As you know, this is my passion project. And the main reason I'm doing this, I want to provide sex education, accurate scientific sex education to people who didn't have access or don't have access to it. So you're part of this uh, mission with me. So I'm so grateful if you haven't wrote us a review to take a couple of minutes to drop a few lines in iTunes or just do the ranking and um, just do the review and ranking and give us some stars and I would be very, very appreciative. Today, we're going to talk about a very important topic. We're going to talk about how you can talk to your child about porn. So it's not a matter of if my children are going to get exposed to porn. Everyone, unfortunately, around the globe at some point developmental stage of their life, they're going to get exposed to erotically charged material, whether it's visual porn or if it's auditory porn, that can be traumatizing for kids depending on their age. So our guest is Dr. Elizabeth Schroeder. She's an award-winning educator, trainer, program consultant, and author specializing in sexuality education, LGBTQ plus affirming best practices, and working with adolescent cisgender boys. She has provided consultation to and direct education and training for schools, parents' group, and youth-serving organizations in countries around the world for over 25 years. Dr. Schroeder was co-founding editor of American Journal of Sexuality Education and has authored or edited numerous publications, including Sexuality Education Theory Practice with Dr. Clint Bruess and four-part book series, Sexuality Education, Past, Present, and Future with Dr. Judy Koryansky. I hope that I, I use the proper pronunciation for those co-authors. She truly has an impressive bio. So if you want to get access to the, her full bio, make sure you're checking out our show notes. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Elizabeth Schroeder. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Dr. Elizabeth Schroeder on our show today. Elizabeth, welcome to our show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I am very excited to have you on the show because I know that sex education, like helping people to convey their quote unquote correct (laughs) message to the future generation is one of your expertise. And when I get parents in my office, many of them, they 
they want to make sure they're giving a good information and healthy sex, good, great sex education to their children, but they don't know how to start. So I'm so grateful that we have you in the field to guide us on how we can approach these topics with our children and adolescents. I know the topic of sex education at times is a challenging one because there are so many struggles that are people experiencing based on where they grew up, what kind of education they got. So tell us, what are some of the struggles that you see with the current sex education? There are a lot of struggles today with the current way sexuality education is being provided. There are pros and cons to the inconsistency of it. So there are a lot of different ways in which sex education is being provided. I'm going to focus in on young, younger people, so children and adolescents. And there's a whole spectrum of how it is being offered and provided. And the inconsistency of it is what's most challenging because people are making decisions about what young people should or should not be taught based on personal values and beliefs. Now, for those of us who are parents and caregivers, I am one, there is this idea of, I teach my child values. And we have often said in the field, I don't know if you've heard this statement, that uh, parents are the first and the primary sexuality educators of their children. And I've always agreed with that statement, and yet we're missing part of that statement, which is, and there's no reason why any of us think we should do it alone, because there's nothing about becoming a parent or a caregiver that all of a sudden makes us experts in human sexuality. I know you have been doing this work a long time. I have been doing this work for about 27 years, and I still have things that I don't know about. So it's an unfair expectation to parents and caregivers to think automatically because you have the status of parent that you know how to speak with your child about sex and sexuality. The other challenge we have, though, is thinking that it does not belong in schools because it absolutely does belong in schools. But the greatest challenge, I would say right now, is we have a strong socially conservative backlash against providing any kind of factual information to young people. So those of us who do this work, who know what research and best practices show, are saying this is what should be taught at these different levels because of what research says because of what our experience says. And what we have are socially conservative folks with a lot of power who are controlling both programs and funding for programs who are saying, we disagree with all of your facts and research, and they are impeding us from getting the information and skills that can both enhance and actually save lives to young people. For this reason, younger people at younger and younger ages end up going to online porn to get their sexuality education. I love that you talked about the fact that parents are having children. It doesn't make them an expert in this area. I recently had this honest conversation with my own mother about that. Mm-hmm. That as I showed you, I didn't get any <laughs> any sex education because of how the political environment was and how my family's values were not congruent with what it was taught in Iran at schools. And mm-hmm. I was telling my mom about, you know, I feel you, you never talk about it with me and she said like no one talked to me about it mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel right now as a sex educator a sex therapist I'm teaching her <laughs> content yes. so I feel like poor thing back then she, she just didn't have the resources sure sure and I think that's a very important point there there is such a diversity in how any of us were brought up some folks I hear some of my colleagues 
who will tell me they grew up talking about sex and sexuality as naturally as any other topic and other folks where you just never said the word. There was nothing ever talked about it. And that, of course, has an impact on whether and how we approach it with young people. Again, whether we are parents or caregivers or we just have young people in our lives, it all has an impact on how we interact with others, even if it's not younger people, even adult to adult, how we interact with each other. And I love that you brought up the content of the topic of porn, because one of the scary things for many of the parents that I see in my practice, they're coming and telling me we discovered our teen is watching porn or young young teen is watching porn. I don't know how we talk about it. What should I say about it? And in, in many of the families that there are not, parents are not talking about sex, porn at times become a sex education. So mm. tell us how can parents can talk to their children about the sexually explicit materials online, including porn? This is such a wonderful question, and I wish we had about nine hours to talk about (laughs) it. Um, This is the most common question that I get asked right now, whether it's by educators or by uh, parents and other caregivers. When when we're feeling concerned about how we talk about things with, with young people, with children, they're feeling that concern. They're feeling that anxiety that we're having. And we as parents and caregivers, we have to be able to approach this topic and talk with them about it. I also want to start, before I talk about porn and other sexually explicit material, I always encourage parents and caregivers to take a look at what their children are watching right now, because people are under this misconception that there's typical TV shows or things that young people watch, and then all the way over at the other extreme is porn. Now, if you really look at what's being shown on television, whether it is cable TV, Netflix, YouTube videos, which a lot of adolescents in particular are watching, all these companies are trying very hard to push the envelope on what they can get away with showing people. Mm -hmm. So if we think that just because our young people are not going on Pornhub or any other explicit website, that means that they haven't seen content that is not age or developmentally appropriate for them. We're kidding ourselves. So we need to keep in mind that that it's not just porn. It's about everything that they're seeing through media. That's all part of their education. It's part of their social education. It's a part of their gender education. It's a part of how they learn about sexual orientation and people of all different sexual orientations and gender identities. They're getting so much information and content thrown at them. If we're not talking with them about it and helping them make sense of it, they're drowning in information. And they end up going to porn, which for adults, it's, it's fine. Absolutely. There's no porn shaming I have here. Adult to adult, that's absolutely fine. But it wasn't created for children. It's not age and developmentally appropriate for children. And they don't understand that porn is designed to be a fantasy. So children, adolescents will look at porn and say, that's the way I'm supposed to be as a sexual being. That's the way I'm supposed to be in relationship to other people. And that's the way I should anticipate being treated by a partner. And that's where the big concern about younger children, any younger person going online for to porn for their sex ed is. I really appreciate that you talked about it, that for adults, adults it's, it's okay. We, we have the agency of choosing what we want to watch. People, couples are using it, individually can using it in a way that's healthy for them. But I, I love that you mentioned that for some of the content that younger teens or, or younger kids are getting exposed to, it's not developmentally appropriate 
appropriate. As you were talking about that, I was thinking about this session that I attended in ASAC a couple of years ago, and they were talking about the research of how young teen girls getting exposed to porn first time. And many of the time, it's it's not they're looking for it. It's kind of getting viral with their friends, sending it to them and via email. So I think it's just whether you feel like your kid has access to kind of like, the as you said, like a porn hub or other porn site doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to get exposure to sexually explicit materials, even if it means that they're not seeking those things yet. So I think it's important for parents to be proactive about these conversations. How do you recommend people to, I guess, how early do you recommend people to have these conversations with their children? And what would be the good way of bringing it up? That's a great question. I think with younger kids, what we want to do is we want to proactively talk with them about sort of the, the messages of what we consider to be healthy sexuality, right? So for, for younger children, we, we barely talk about sex and sexuality using that language. What we're talking about are things like boundaries and consent and respect and how do you interact with people. One of the things when sort of going back to the, your question about sex education, I always find it kind of funny that we are doing so much sex education without calling it that. From the time kids are in pre-K and in kindergarten, they're getting tons of messages about boundaries. Hands are not for hitting. Hands on your own body. Is that how we treat a friend? All of that is foundational to the future sex education that's to come. So while they are younger and while we are really putting rules into place for how the internet is used in our households, whether and how they have phones or iPads or any other devices that connect them to the internet, we want to constantly be talking with them about what's important. More often than not, I can't speak universally, more often than not with younger kids, when they get onto porn, it is by accident. Kind of the example you just gave, which is it might be that they go online to a website that is a website they thought was for them, and they might put in the wrong ending, so .net instead of .com, or they, if they even use email, a lot of kids at younger ages are not using emails, the teens barely use email, but if they get something and there's a link, they've clicked onto a link, they're looking at something online and they, they follow a link, a lot of times it is by accident. The good news, what we know is in more cases than not, when they stumble upon it as younger kids, they get off right away. They, they sort of, they stumble on the site, they say, oh, my goodness, and then they, they leave the site. What we also know, we don't have a ton of research about younger children and adolescents and porn consumption, but of what we do know that is unfortunate is the majority of young people, when they do go and stumble on porn, they don't tell their parents or a trusted adult. And that's important for us to know because that means they're thinking, if I tell them I've done something wrong, they get a sense that they've been on a website they shouldn't be on, and they think they're going to get into trouble. For that reason, we have to be very specific with younger children. Children are concrete thinkers. So if we say something abstract like, Honey, if you ever go online and you see something that you're not sure about, you should come and ask me. Or if there's a second parent, ask your other parent as well. That's too abstract. But for younger children to be able to say, you know, honey, sometimes there are websites where you will see uh, people who are naked 
or you might see body parts that we don't usually see because they're covered by bathing suits or by clothes. And if that were to happen, you've done nothing wrong. But it's really important we talk about that. So please do tell me. Now, the kids may or may not tell, but what you're doing is you're giving the vibe to your child that there is absolutely nothing you cannot come to me and talk with me about. That's As parents, that's what we want to do. We want to do whatever we can to keep that door open with communication as, as best as we can. And I appreciate that you said that they are concrete thinkers because I feel at times parents are feeling uncomfortable about these things themselves and mm. they are kind of addressing it very kind of implicit ways. And kids, as you said, they're concrete thinkers. They're just not picking up exactly what the parents are talking about. And I think the other piece is I know the both of your work also focus on boys' sex education and men's mm-hmm. sex education, which is so important. And, and in the light of what's going on with Me Too movement and all the kind of uh, blaming at times that falls into some men, I feel like we're doing injustice to our boys with not giving, talking about these things with them. Because sometimes even with boys, many of times, many of oftentimes, they, this, the porn becomes their sex education. And some of the behaviors that they see online they think that's how sex needs to be and like sometimes women or girls are more relational and they're talking about it but boys are not necessarily kind of know about it so what are some of the suggestions you have around that Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. I really want to affirm that aspect that you just uh, talked about. People of all genders watch porn and sexually explicit material. For decades, research has tried to look at the impact of viewing media on people's behaviors. This this has to do with violence as well as about sexually explicit materials and how that has an impact on sexual behaviors, sexual initiation, everything like that. Again, with the research, we do not have research that conclusively shows causation between this, that, or the other thing. So again, for decades, we've been trying to say people who view sexually explicit materials are more or less likely to sexually assault someone. There is not research showing that to be the case. From the research I'm aware of, what we do know around causation, that if someone is already predisposed to aggression, that watching sexually explicit material, especially those that um, that material that has power play in it, that that can cause them to have a, a greater likelihood of being sexually aggressive with others. There's also a cultural component. So in those countries where, and I would say the, the data says countries, but I would also say households. So here in, in the US, where we do speak openly and honestly about sexuality from the youngest ages, where we encourage young people to be critical thinkers and educated consumers of the information that's coming into them, that young people, once they get to be teenagers, are able to look at this more critically and say, I get that this porn is a fantasy. I'm looking at it anyway, but I get that's not the real way to have sex. That's if you're having these open conversations. Otherwise, if I'm an adolescent, I'm 11, 12 years old, and I go on pornography and I see something so visually explicit, I'm going to look at that and say that's the way it's supposed to be. Now, having said that in terms of causality, there was some recent research that came out of college-age students where on self-reported data, they talked about an increase in choking behavior in shared sexual relationships. That is something that is directly coming from what is being seen in porn. I, I can't tell you that for sure. This is, this is from what we notice. I mean, it's very anecdotal, 
I can't say that that means watching porn then makes you choke someone. What it does is this is one behavior that is encouraging at least curiosity about it enough so that a population of folks are at least exploring and trying it in their relationships. When we're college age, we're getting close to adulthood. If there is consent and mutual consent, that's one part of sex play that can happen. But if this is something where, again, young people think this is what I'm supposed to be doing in order to give and or receive pleasure, that's problematic. I'm so glad you brought up the choking kind of like a situation in, in kind of that's connected to the porn and the younger younger population. I remember part of that conversation on ASAC was around that too. And many of young women in my practice, they are traumatized by it mm. because they feel like they, they got kind of like they, the partner did it without even their consent, without the conversation. And it was kind of shock to them. And perhaps, again, it's possible that the, the partner also learned it from porn or from some other places. And like any other behavior, when you want to kind of examine it in the bedroom, the good, beha- good practice is talk about it outside the bedroom. But I guess circling back to the parents' dilemma, for example, if a parent noticed that, okay, realized and, uh, that their teen is watching a porn and after they watching it, they fear that, okay, this is, this is not okay. The content is not what my child want to get exposed to and they want to have a dialogue about it how do you recommend them to do it what how can they bring up the kind of this that this topic of this is not uh what i want you to kind of like practice or this is not right quote unquote as far as sex education without shaming the kid great question i think going back to sort of what's developmentally appropriate for adolescents and teens if when we as adults whether we're parents or we're any any adult When we say to an adolescent or a teenager, don't do something, developmentally, they are going to want to do whatever that thing is. Um, And this is part of why these abstinence only until heterosexual marriages programs are, there are many, many problems with it. But this idea of just say no doesn't resonate because developmentally, they're supposed to want to challenge and want to do what they are being told not to do. And that isn't them being difficult. That's them being normal. That's exactly what an adolescent or teen is supposed to do. So what I strongly recommend to parents is to start with, again, affirming you are not in trouble. The fact that you were watching porn, you did not do a bad thing. It's normal to be curious about sex and sexuality. And in this house, let me just back up for a second. I think before we get into the situation of our young people going online and looking at porn, whenever our kids start going online independent of us, we have to be very clear about what the rules and parameters are. It's a huge mistake that parents and caregivers make right now, which is my kids know more about technology than I do. They can get on anyway. If we don't verbalize it ahead of time, we are giving the message that they can just do whatever they want. Not only is that ineffective, it is dangerous, and they actually want the parameters. They don't know how to tell us that, but but kids, until they get older, we have to give them containers around, this is how we use this thing. We would never just hand kids keys to the car and say, go out and drive. We give them lessons. They have to take classes, everything. So before they get online, they need to understand what comes with that. There, there are responsibilities that come with that. There are good and bad things about going online. 
And this isn't even just related to porn. You have to understand what is a reliable resource. What is a place you can go to for information about any topic? And when it comes to sex and sexuality, you need to talk about what porn is. When, when kids are a little bit older, like I would say in, in teen years, I really encourage being very explicit about why we have a challenge with it, why we don't want them to be watching porn. And so it's, instead of just saying, don't do that, to be able to say, here are my concerns. First of all, there is no conversation between people when they're having sex. And honey, that's just not true. It is so important to talk with a partner about what you want, finding out what they want, what you don't want, what they don't want, and respecting that. You're not going to see that in porn. And if you end up imitating porn in your adult relationships, you could end up hurting someone and getting hurt yourself. So what young people want to hear is the reason why we're making a rule. What's the reason? When they're much younger, a lot of households, what they'll do is have a common space for the computer. So if there's a computer that has internet access, or it's a tablet, or it's a phone, depending on how old the, the young person is, when you're using this, you're in a common space, and that means I can look over your shoulder anytime I want. That's the rule in the, the household. As they get older and they have to learn to be more independent, that's when we have the conversations of, honey, I know at some point you're going to be looking at porn. Almost everybody does. Here's what I need you to know. And then sort of lay out, these are the things I'm concerned about. This is what you have to be clear on. And Naz, you brought up a very, very important point around how some teenagers are using this, which is they're using their phones to text each other links to online porn. So it's just a funny thing. Like I'll grab my friend's phone and I will text a random person in their contacts and it'll just be a link to something on Pornhub. What teenagers don't realize is that depending on the state you live in or the country you live in, you may have just committed a crime and they don't know that. If we're not explaining that to them, then they are doing this and they could end up getting in trouble. In some states, they could end up being on a, on a sex offender list. So this is about using the internet responsibly, respectfully, carefully. And so it's, if we're not talking about it, we're not doing our job as parents. We're, we're letting our kids down. So even if we are nervous about it, even if we're concerned, we have to, that's, that's what we signed up for. You know, this is our job. We have to be able to speak with them about this. And I really appreciate when you are highlighting that the parents need to monitor their children and teens' access to to internet. Because a few years ago, I went to this training. I live in LA, and the person who was teaching was through police department, and they were talking about human trafficking. And the the chief of the department was saying that how his own daughter was almost kind of like got kind of trapped in the cycle, and she was ready to leave because a person, like an adult person was trying to impersonate that he was a boy that was interested in her. So, it, and it was so scary for him. So I think even if the, the like head of department, the police department is struggling, I'm sure as, as parents, we all need to be kind of concerned about the access our children have to, to sexual explicit material, the content out there. Is there any, anything else that parents need to do to make sure they're monitoring their kids' online use? 
use of kind of like materials? It's a great question. I, I appreciate you bringing in the, the law enforcement person who themselves were like, you know, struggling with this. Uh, what I'd like to speak to a little bit is a struggle that we do have, many of us as parents or caregivers, which is we are always balancing between our children's rights and their safety. And when I say their rights, I'm thinking about things like privacy. And uh, often when I've done workshops about internet safety or about sexting or about what it is young people are really learning when they, when they look at sexually explicit material, I often have a parent who will come back and say, I would never read my child's journal or diary, so I would never check their phone. And this is a very sensitive topic that truly every parent and caregiver needs to think about for themselves and decide for themselves what is the rule of the household. What I do recommend is if someone is a parent who says part of you, my child, part of your usage of phone is I'm getting this for younger kids. We always say I'm getting you this as a communication venue, like this is a communication tool. This is so I can pick you up after school. This is so I may be working um, or working several jobs and we have to be able to stay in touch, those kinds of things. And here are the rules around that. It's also important to let young people know upfront what the rules and the parameters are. I don't believe in surprises unless you've set that up as, a, as part of your orientation around using technology in the home. So, for example, there are some parents who will have the hands-off rule. So, if one of their kids is on their tablet or on their phone or on a computer and the parent walks in and says, hands-off, the young person puts down their device, whatever it is, and the parent can look at it. And that's something that some folks will do. The other thing that I suggest is for whatever rules are put into place, it is much more effective and easier to start more strict and then become more lenient as a child gets older because they have to, we're, they have to learn to deal on their own. That's also our job as parents. We are training our children to leave us. So we have to help them become independent. But it is way more difficult if a parent has never put any kind of rule or parameter into place and suddenly they're saying to their 14 or 15 year old, okay, here are the rules now. It's, it's, it's honestly too late when it comes to that. So start earlier. If you're going to have parameters, just be clear about it. I have the right to have your password. That's the rule if you want to have the phone. Some households, and I'll share from my own experience as a, as a parent now, which is when my son was younger, I had the right to have his password and I gave him the password to my phone. Not every parent is comfortable with that. I'm not saying that all parents should do that. You may have a relationship on your phone where you're doing things sexually explicit with other folks and you don't want your child to be able to see what you're doing on your phone. I did it in my case because of how I knew I used the phone. Interestingly enough, he never once asked to look at my phone. So we have to, as parents, sort of experiment and try different things, knowing the individual who our child, or if we have more than one child, who our children are. And again, I just really encourage, be more stringent at the beginning. We are not our kids' friends. We are their parents. And so we are here to help them feel safe and tethered and like we've got this as they're learning to have it for themselves. 
Well, Elizabeth, what I really appreciate hearing you telling us about this, this kind of struggles that many parents have is how you have a very systematic way of addressing this and you have good suggestions around it because I feel almost all parents who are listening to this podcast, they know they got to have some kind of conversation about sex and sexuality with their kids, but they oftentimes feel stuck. So I love that you are giving us specific things that we can do to address some of these challenges. I notice we are toward the end of our time, but I'm thinking that I know in your website, in your workshops, is you have tons of great content and the same kind of strategies that parents can use to help their kids navigate this complicated web of content on, online. So please tell us what are some of the ways that can people get access to your workshops, to the content you have available online? Thank you so much for asking that. First of all, I would just invite folks to visit my website, which is www.drschroe.com. I also have a professional Facebook page, which is Elizabeth Schroeder Consulting. They can find me through there. And a lot of times when I post content on the Elizabeth Schroeder Consulting page, I will say to parents and caregivers, I'm here for you. In particular, I, I post a lot about what is being offered uh, in various states around the United States and what parents can do. And so sometimes parents will say, I'm okay at home, but I really don't like the curriculum that's being taught in my child's school. What can I do? I am more than happy to connect people with local resources as well as national organizations where this is their specialty. This is their expertise is around school board policies and how do you advocate for a program that is inclusive and affirming and age and developmentally appropriate what do you do when you have an abstinence only until heterosexual marriage program or a crisis pregnancy center in your school? What do you do about that to make sure that young people do not continue to be lied to and misled by these programs? So I guess I would just invite folks that anyone listening to this, if they would like to reach out, I'd be glad to be a resource, whether I have the answers or I can get you to the people who have the answers. I'm just more than happy to do it. Thank you so much for that invitation. And I, I genuinely, as I was looking through your website, I said, oh, I want to talk about this and that. <laughs> so it's a wealth of great knowledge. And I appreciate you making yourself available to provide this information and education to many of the parents that are kind of struggling. And thank you so much to, for coming on the show. This was absolutely a treat to have you share your expertise with us. Thank you so much, Naz. And again, thank you for doing what you're doing. I, I so appreciate having this opportunity to talk. And I, I imagine that the parents and other folks who listen to your podcast are so grateful to you. So thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Schroeder. I certainly took tons of notes because this is a topic that comes up often in my practice. And many of the parents kind of think about talking about this material, the kind of porn and sex after they realize that the kid's been exposed to it. But I love Dr. Schroeder's recommendation of being proactive about it. And also, Many of you, perhaps similar to me, never got a sex education or even worse, you got a sex negative sex education. So this is your opportunity to change the pattern for future generation. 
Because sometimes protecting our kids against the sexually charged materials and content and porn is protecting them from developing negative ideas around sex. There's nothing wrong about pornography, but some of the material might not be age appropriate for the developmental stage of your kid. So it's your role as a parent to a monitor that and B provide some education about accurate information about uh, sex and sexuality. Anyhow, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let me know if you have any requests about future episodes, specifically around talking about sex with your kids. We had a specific episode talking about age-appropriate information you can give to your kids depending on where they are in stages of development around boundaries around pleasure so if you haven't checked it out and you're curious make sure you're checking it out i will leave a link in the show notes thank you so much for listening and i'll talk to you next week thanks for listening to sexology podcast for more great content visit www.sexologypodcast.com Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.